Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you're blessed by this podcast, please subscribe. Once you do, you'll be able to stay up to date with all our latest messages. In this special message by Harry Walker, we look at Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 through 13, and this message entitled, The Seventh Seal and the Four Angels. Let's get started. All right, so, not going to be in the book of Daniel tonight. Uh, we're going to let Pastor Tom go ahead and be preaching in the book of Daniel. Um, so, tonight though, we're going to kind of pick up where we left off a couple of Sundays ago. Uh, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 8, but if you remember last uh, time that we talked, we were in chapter 1 and we, we discussed uh, the first few verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 9 through 16. So we're going we're gonna to go, we're going to jump ahead and go right into chapter 8 tonight. Uh, remember, in, in chapter 1, when we were there a couple weeks ago, we had talked about where Jesus has given the command to John the Apostle to write a letter to seven churches. And then we also talked about Jesus being glorified, and we talked about the description of Jesus that he gave to himself there. So we've got several books between chapter 1 where we were and then chapter 8. So let me just kind of give you for context a little bit that has been going on in chapters 2 through 7. In chapters 2 and 3 is where we find uh, that what Jesus had to say to the seven churches. Remember the good, the bad, and the ugly. And then in chapter 4 is where we see that John is invited to heaven. And in verse 4 is where we see John being told, come up here and I will show you things that must take place after this. And this is where we find in chapter 4, it begins a new vision, a second vision given to the apostle John. Then in chapter 5, we're told that John sets a, uh, sees a scroll and it's sealed with seven seals in, the, in, in the, uh, the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And this is where a strong angel asked the question, who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? And all of heaven and earth, we only found one person. And that was the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Jesus himself has prevailed open the scroll and loosen the seven seals. Then in chapter 6, we looked at verse 8, we, you can find in verses 1 through 8, we find the Lamb, Jesus, who breaks the four seals and the first appearance of the Antichrist and his power. And John is told then, come and see it, come and see it. And these four seals describe four horsemen. Remember, there's a white horse, there's a red horse, a black horse, and a pale horse. And each and every one of those horses have a distinct meaning. And let me just give you kind of the short version of that tonight. The white horse rider is the Antichrist. Do not confuse the Antichrist horse with Jesus Christ riding on a horse. We find Jesus Christ coming on a white horse in chapter 19 of Revelation in verses 11 through 16. The red horse rider is the one who takes peace from the earth. In other words, he declares warfare and bloodshed all over the earth. The black horse rider, the, this rider has the power to control the economy and the distribution of food. In other words... He creates a famine all over the world. And the pale horse rider, he was given power to kill a fourth of the earth's 
population. This is the rider of death. He represents death. Also in chapter 6, verse 9, gives us the fifth seal. And it was opened, and John saw this. He saw under the altar the souls of those that had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony of which they held. These are the martyrs that have been killed for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, in chapter 6 of Revelation, verses 12 through 14, is where the sixth seal is opened. And there's earthquakes that blacken the sun. The moon is like blood. The stars of heaven fell to the earth. The sky is receded. And the mountains and the islands were moved out of their place. And then with chapter 7, we find a postponement of the opening of the seals. And John heard the number 144,000, all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. So if you haven't turned there yet, turn to chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13 tonight. Follow along as I read them, and then I will pray for tonight's service. Chapter 8 of Revelation, starting in verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, with the prayers of the saints, ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain, burning with fire, was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Then the third, of the, angel, the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the, stars, the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because of the remaining blasts of the trumpets of the three angels who are about to sound. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, I do thank you for bringing us together tonight to open your word and Lord, I pray for understanding tonight as we study. Lord, may my words be your words. Lord, I thank you for the book of Revelation and giving us a preview of what is to come with the promise of the Prince of Peace coming back to rid the earth of evil. I pray that as we face through the choices and hard decisions in our lives, Lord, help us to remember that we are your children and you will guide and you will direct and you will provide for each and every one of our needs. Lord, may the Holy Spirit move more boldly in our lives and help us to flee the temptations in our lives 
Help us to crave your presence more and more each and every day. Now, Lord, soften our hearts and open our eyes and ears to receive your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. All right, so now, <clears throat> now's the time for the seventh seal to be loose. And when it's broken, there's going to be, uh, we see a greater judgment poured out upon the earth. And you know, I've been asked a lot of times, Harry, why doesn't God just come and get everything over with quickly? You know, why is God prolonging agony? How can God be so uncompassionate? Well, really, it's just the opposite. God is being compassionate. You see, it's his delay to propose, postpone judgment. Why? Because he, liked, he wants to see more and more people come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. A matter of fact, the prophet Ezekiel even tells us in chapter 33, verse 11, where he writes this, what God had told him. Ezekiel writes, pens this, saying this, Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? You see, God wants people to live with him. That's his desire. That's his desire. You see, God prolongs the judgment, giving every chance to those that are evil, to turn from their evil ways and to live. You know, really the best way that I can describe it is this, that our God is not only long-suffering, but he is just. He is just. He is merciful. He is forgiving. In verse uh, 1, we find this is when the seventh seal was opened. There was silence in heaven for about a half hour. Here with this seventh seal, we know that this seal is important. It's very important because it's different than any of the others that are found in the previous chapters, in, verses six, in chapters 6 and 7. You see, with the other six seals, when they were opened, judgment immediately started to happen. They took place exactly to the earth and its inhabitants. But here we find the angelic host stood silent and the resurrected saints must be watching with intense concern to see what is happening. And this is definitely different, uh, heaven, than what we have seen in the past because, you see, we've always seen heaven as a place of worship, praise, joy, and shouting. But not this time. Heaven is quiet with a dead silence. Dead silence. In my mind's eye, this is kind of what I'm thinking. That heaven is kind of just holding its breath, just waiting to see what's going to happen next. Now, I know that John did not take his trusty Timex with him or a sundial with him to figure out what the half hour must have been like, but I'm thinking of this. That half hour must have seemed like a long time. Because maybe not to us, but think of it this way. In time of terror, horror, and danger, those minutes must have seemed like hours. So we can ask ourselves this question, why? Why the silence? Why is heaven frozen over with silence? So I gave it some thought. 
And I think it's kind of like this. I thought of those that have experienced tornadoes, and maybe some of you have experienced tornadoes in, in your past. And it said that just before the tornado hit, it gets deathly quiet. It gets deathly quiet, and it gets still. It's kind of like the old saying, the calm before the storm. You know, the, And when you're in the eye of the storm, it's still. It's peaceful. The prophet uh, Zephaniah says it best when he says this, Be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. And that's exactly what's happening here. The day of the Lord is at hand. However, the silence in heaven, and this is only going to be a temporary relief. That 30 minutes may seem like a long time to a lot of folks, but it's only a temporary relief. It is not going to last long. Then in verse 2 is where we find John sees seven angels given seven trumpets. Now let me tell you something. Trumpets or shofars, whatever you want to call them, uh, they make a shrill blast. They are loud. They are absolutely loud. And these trumpets were used for various purposes during these times. Uh, they were used to call people to worship. And they were sometimes used to call people to work and sometimes people just to war, to even to war. Matter of fact, I, uh, I used to go to a church up in Idlewild called Chapel Pines. And Pastor Steve's been there too. And before that service always started, there was someone that blew the shofar. And let me tell you, that building just shook. So I, I, I do know how loud the trumpet of a shofar is. I think also of the walls of Jericho when they fell, when the priests blew their seven trumpets for the seventh time. So will the walls of the world come tumbling down when God's angels blow their trumpets. Then and only then will we be able to shout out what Revelation chapter 11, verse 15 says, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of Jesus Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. What a glorious day that is going to be. What a glorious day. The point of verse 2 is this, that seven angels are given the privilege of sounding seven mighty trumpets which will sing, uh, signal out the unleashing of the series of unprecedented physical judgments on the earth. If you take a look at chapter 8 and verse 3, where John writes this, what he sees, he says this, he sees this, another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. Okay, first of all, a censer is nothing more than a bowl that holds incense poured on hot coals. So we can ask, what has incense got to do with anything concerning this? Well, we know from the Bible that incense is a symbol of prayer and intercession. David even tells us in the, in the Psalm of 142, verse 2, Let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as an evening sacrifice. Did you know that upraised hands is a position of prayer? Now, I know there's probably some of you in this room that say, I wouldn't raise my hands for anything. And that's some of you. But let me give you another Bible verse. Some of you may need a scripture for that. 
Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, says this, I desire, which means I request, I request, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. If you need another one, you can go back to the Psalms of chapter 20. David writes in 28, verse 2. You'll see more of it. Now, I know there are times when we doubt or when we think God doesn't hear our prayers or forgets them. Can I tell you, he does hear them, and he never forgets them. He never does. Let me encourage you tonight that they're all heard. They're all heard. They're all heard. And prayer is not forgotten. You see, God is pleased when we pray in faith and with praise. And all of our prayers will receive an answer. It may be the answer we don't want to hear, but the answer will come. The answer will come. Just as a side note, notice in verse 3, it says that this incense or prayers in the golden census was taking, censer was taken to the altar. You know, that is, it, it's, it's, this, this, those, that verse meant a little bit more to me. You know, because we're going to see in the next two verses, we're going to find that judgment, vindication, and revenge are in God's hands and not ours. It's not in ours. You see, our lesson is no matter how strong the desire is to get revenge or to retaliate against our enemies, our work is to pray for God and His justice. I know that's easier said than done, but that's what we need to do. Now in verses 4 and 5, we learn that the smoke of the incense ascended before God from the, alt, uh, the angel's hand. And in verse 5, then the angel filled the censer with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth, causing noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. And in verses 4 and 5, we're telling us that the altar is not only a place of sacrifice, but it is also a place of judgment. Of judgment. In other words, the same golden censer from which the prayers of the saints are carried through the air to heaven now have become a fiery warning of the coming judgments towards earth. You see, all those that reject God's loving forgiveness must receive their righteous vengeance from God. Uh, Hebrews, even the writer of Hebrews, gives us also the warning uh, that that those that are unbelievers should take heed to this warning. Uh, in chapter ten, verse. 26 the writer of hebrews says this for if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins yeah okay revelation 8 verse 6 we're told that the seven angels who had the seven trumpets are prepared to blast their judgments now before we begin with these judgments that we've find in verses 7 through 12, let me assure you that these are literal, global disturbances that will terrify the entire world. We know that because the prophet Joel in chapter 2 of Joel and, and also in Isaiah chapter 13 verses uh, 9 and 10, they prophetically prophesied this as being the day of the Lord. Jesus himself answering the disciples when they asked, Teacher, but when will these things be? 
And in Luke 21, verse 25, Jesus answers them saying this, And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth, distress in the nations with perplexity, and the sea and the waves roaring. And we're going to see those things all coming to pass in the coming verses. And these global disturbances will cause unbelieving mankind to react in distress and fear. Now take note of this also as we get into these four trumpets because we will find that each trumpet begins with a different type of, phys- of uh, physical destruction. Verse 7 says this, The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and there were thrown into the earth. And a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. From verses 5 to 7, we know that on the earth has now experienced some type of an amazing electrical storm plus a violent earthquake. And now it's followed by hail and fire. And just think of the devastation all over the world. A third of the world's trees are gone and all the green grass making once a lush land a desolate desert. The food supply from the pasture land and all the crops gone and will create a world, worldwide food shortage. Also think of the air pollution from the smoke that's being caused by the fire. And all the birds are going to die off. How can they breathe? All of this is causing the balance of our ecological system. As we know, it will be tilted the total destruction. You say, Harry, I can't believe that. God would never do it. Well, he's done it before. He's done it before. I think of the plagues in Egypt in Exodus chapter 9, verse 23, where it says this, And Moses stretched out his rod toward the heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire darted to the ground, and the Lord rained hail all over the land of Egypt. He's done it before. Revelation 8, verse 8, it says this, A second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. Wow, think of that. Now, it's impossible for us to really determine with certainty what this mountain really is. It's probably not what we would think is an actual mountain. I say this because John would have recognized it as a mountain just as he did in chapter 6, verse 14, where he, didn't, where he actually said a mountain. Here he says it was like a great mountain. So it could be a volcanic eruption that is spewing its fiery lava, or maybe it's a giant meteorite or asteroid plummeting towards Earth, surrounded by combustionable gases which ignite as soon as it enters the atmosphere of Earth. But know this, whatever it is, it's huge, and it is going to happen. It is going to happen. We also find out that the only impact location is with the sea doesn't hit land. It hits the sea. But let me tell you something. The entire world is going to know it. They're going to know all about it. How? Well, most likely TV cameras. They're going to be focused on the splashdown of this. It's going to be seen all over the world with modern technology that even if we, what we have today will show it worldwide. Uh, verse 8 continues with John saying this, a third of the sea will become blood. And again, nothing new here under the sun. God did virtually the very same thing 
during the plagues of Egypt. Again in Exodus chapter 7, verses 19 through 20, God told Moses to lift his rod over the waters in the sight of Pharaoh, and the waters turned to blood. He's done it before. He can do it again. And here's something else to think about. And if my math is right, oceans cover about three-fourths of the mass of the earth, the surface of the world. So if a third of the oceans are contaminated, that means about a quarter of the entire world would be covered with blood. Wow, think of that. A quarter of the entire world. But wait, this second angel, he's not done yet. Verse 9 goes on to say this, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Again, nothing new. Nothing new here. In Exodus chapter 7, verse 21, we find that the waters were poisoned with the blood of killing off fish. Again, God's done it before. He can do it again. Now we can ask the question, how were a third of the ships destroyed? Well, we've all seen the devastation from a tsunami. We've all seen that. A, couple, a few years back, we saw over 250,000 people killed in just a matter of minutes from a tsunami. We saw that. So the answer most likely is this, that this great object, when it makes its impact on the water, it's going to create a worldwide giant tsunami. And this would cause the ships, whether they're docked or anchored at sea, to be battered into pieces and or sink from the waves. It's going to be the perfect storm. The perfect storm. Then in verses 10 and 11, we find the third angel. He sounds his trumpet. Verse 10 says this, And a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of the water. And then verse 11 continues on saying this, The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. Bitter. Now, no one knows, not even the scientists, exactly how many stars there are. We can't even see them all. Because there are untold numbers of stars hidden in solar systems and galaxies that our telescopes can't even see. Can't even see. But so we can ask ourselves this question. How did John know the name of that star, Wormwood? How did he know it? Well, remember I said couple of Sundays ago that God is not a God of confusion. Scripture always confirms Scripture. The psalmist in chapter 147 verse 4 says this, he, meaning God, counts the number of the stars and calls them all by their name. God knows the number of the stars. And better yet, Believe it or not, he's named every one of them. What the, calls them all by their name. So not only does God show John the vision of this great star falling from heaven, but God has a name for this star. It's called Wormwood. Of course, we can ask the question, why will people be dying from drinking this bitter water? Can't they get around the taste? You know, if you get thirsty enough, even you know, hot water tastes good or something that just... Doesn't tap water may taste good if you're thirsty enough here in the valley? 
And probably they could, but this bitter water, it packs a powerful punch. It does. You see, the term wormwood is used in the Old Testament, and it's very bitter, very bitter. And it produces an intoxicating state, and eventually death if you drink enough of it. It'd be kind of like drinking seawater. So whatever the exact ingredients of this wormwood water or star will be, it will be lethal to drink, and many are going to die from the water that is contaminated. The bottom line is this. God knows where the star wormwood is. It means bitterness. It's located, it's located because the prophet Jeremiah tells us. He writes it. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 15 says this, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will feed them, this people, with wormwood and give them water of gall to drink. He warns them. We see it in the Old Testament prophet of Jeremiah. Prophecy is being fulfilled, folks, here in Revelation. It's being fulfilled. Remember Jesus on the cross? Over in Matthew chapter 27, I think it was verse 34, where one of the soldiers offered Jesus gall to drink. He tasted it and then he turned it away. And sometime, one of these times, I'd love to do it tonight, but I'll tell you the reason. One of these nights, I'll tell you the reason why he was offered that gall. Then we go to verse 12 of chapter 8 of Revelation. The fourth angel sounds his horn. And a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. Here we find while the earth and its inhabitants are dealing with all types of chaos from the effects of the judgments of the very first three trumpets, now the light of the sun in the daytime is reduced to a third, as well as the light of the moon and the stars at night. So just think of the effect that that's going to have on the earth. Knowing that the sun is the total source of the light that we have. And also, not only light, but also energy. We receive energy and nutrients from the sun. Also, the sudden loss of the solar heat will surely cause a severe drop in the world's temperatures. No global warming. Matter of fact, they may be asked, people may be asking for global warming. But yeah, it's going to cause the temperatures to plummet. And this is going to have a devastating effect on the crops, the food supply that sustain people for nourishment. There'll be no food to eat, just given enough time. No food to eat. And again, this is judgment similar to the plague of the darkness upon Egypt by Moses. Again, found in Exodus chapter 10. Uh, the prophet Joel in chapter 2 verse 10 wrote his prediction saying the sun and the moon glow, uh, grow dark and the stars diminish their brightness. Again, prophecy is being fulfilled. And it will be fulfilled. Let's take a look at the last verse, verse 13. It says this, And I looked and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Here we find God is giving one more warning. Again, long-suffering, just. Giving another warning before the gravel of His judgment finally falls on planet earth. 
These woes from the angel with the loud voice is God's last warning to the rebellious world. You see, these unbelievers are about to meet with their spiritual harm. You see, these first four trumpets, trump, uh, trumpet judgments are directed towards the earth itself. And that's what we see. However, in the next three judgments that we find, hopefully the next time when I speak, they're in chapters 9 and 10, they're going to be far more severe than this because they're going to be directed directly to the ungodly and evil mankind. And so the worst is really yet to come. This is against earth and the things that you're going to have, you know, that the unbelievers that are still here are going to have to put up with. You see, at this time, the world is crying out, woe, like pulling the reins on a horse. But God is saying, woe, W-O-E. It's a warning. It's a warning. So again, we can ask the question, why doesn't God just let loose of it all, his judgment, all at once, and get it over with? The answer is the same. As I said before, early on, God has no delight in the perishing of the wicked, and he wants all to come to repentance. He really, truly does. Peter said it this way in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is long-suffering toward us, not willing anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's what God wants. That's what he wants. The bottom line is God oversees this judgment with a firm hand but with a broken heart. It's just like when Jesus was taught at the top of the hill before he went down into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. What did he do? He cried. He wept. He wasn't weeping for what was about to happen to him. He was weeping because he knew what was going to happen to them. That's why. And he's doing, going to do the very same thing as he looks down and has to destroy the earth and the unbelievers. You know, something that I found in the prison ministry that I'm with, a lot of the inmates will profess their innocence. I never get into it with them. Because I, what I always tell them is they're not there by accident, whether they're guilty or innocent. They're not there by accident. Uh, so I never get involved in those conversations. But I tell them that I'm not there to judge their sin, but I tell them that I'm there to tell them who can wash away their sin. And that's Jesus Christ, and only Jesus Christ. You see, a courtroom can convict you of a crime, but only God can convict you of your sins, and only God can correct you of your sins. And that goes for them, and that also goes for each and every one of us. Only God can take away our sin. Thanks for listening and being a part of this week's podcast. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to visit our website, hopeforourtimes.com, and check out the many resources we have to offer. On our website, we have books, DVDs, and daily news articles that will always keep you up to date on the times we're living in. If you'd like to see the video version of this week's podcast, you can find us at Hope For Our Times on YouTube. God bless, and we'll talk to you next time.